Well, uh, a lot can change in four weeks, right? I have to say one of the most encouraging things that has changed in the uh, month that I've been away, of course, has been the change in emphasis by a singer by the name of Kanye West, right? Kanye West now seems to be singing about what? You said Jesus, I was going to say Chick-fil-A, all right? There, there's a song on there where he talks about Chick-fil-A. By the way, I can't wait, Matt, for the choir anthem next week, I think, is featuring Kanye West, right? Can't you see it now? First Baptist Church Decatur Choir sings Kanye West. We're shaking things up around here these days, right? If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, there's no easy transition there, so I'm just going to jump right into it, all right? Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and in this chapter, we have Paul's last words, not only to Timothy, but also to the church. We're going to see here that as Paul gets to the end of his life, it's interesting that he doesn't express any regrets. But instead, Paul is singularly focused. He's got a laser beam focus on one thing, and that is that he has this strong desire to finish strong. He wants to make sure that even as he approaches his last few days of what he believes will be the end of his life, that he is making an impact, that he is strengthening the kingdom of God. Church family, I don't know about you, but if Paul is not an example for us, I don't know who is. To look at a man that says, man, even as I approach my final days, I want to be a benefit to God's kingdom. Would that not be an example for each and every one of us that we would say that we exist for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? And if you don't, the words will be on the screen. We're going to read two different sections from chapter 4. We're going to begin in verses 5 through 9, then I'm going to skip to verses 21 and 22. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Skip ahead to verses 21 and 22. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as does Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We know from reading scripture that Paul did not have a closer friend on earth than Timothy. In fact, several times throughout the Paul's epistles, Paul refers to Timothy as my dear son in the faith, my dear brother, my dear son in the faith. So it's not uh, surprising to us that as Paul believes he's coming to the end of his life, that he has this strong desire that he once again wants to see his son in the faith, Timothy. 
So he tells Timothy, hey, I'm coming to the end of my life, and so I want you to come see me. He's in Rome, and he says, I want you to bring a few things on your way to come see me. The first thing he says is, I want you to grab my books. Isn't it interesting? Even as he's coming to the end of his life, he's still reading because a leader is always a learner. But he says, not only that, I also want you to grab my cloak. It was turning winter, so it was going to be cold, so he wanted his robe while he was there. But he says, but, but Timothy, more than anything, what I want you to bring is yourself. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. So these are the last words that we have from the great apostle Paul. But the question remains, why is it that Paul wanted to see Timothy at a specific time? He says, come and see me before winter. Well, I believe there are two specific reasons why he wanted to see Timothy before winter. There's a practical reason and there's a personal reason. The practical reason is that it was almost winter and it was impossible to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Ships did not go out to sail um, in the, the winter across the Mediterranean Sea. That's the practical reason. There's also the personal reason. You read in verse 6 that he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He believes that he is coming to the end of his life, and so he wants to see Timothy once again. And as close as, as Timothy was to Paul, I personally have to believe that as soon as Timothy receives this letter, that he goes immediately to Paul's house and he gathers his papers and he gathers his books and he gets his cloak and he gets his robe and he heads straight to Rome in order to see Paul. So Paul says, come before winter or never at all. Church, there are things that we must do in our lives before winter or they will never happen. There are opportunities that are in front of us today, this November, that by the time we get to next November 2020, those opportunities will be passed. There are things that we can do today that a year from now, we will no longer have the opportunity to do them. There are voices who are speaking to us today that have influence in our lives that we don't know this, but a year from now, those voices will be silent. Sometimes we must respond now. We must act now. We must answer now. We must not continue to delay and put things off until someday in the future. Think about it, if you will. What would it have been like if Timothy had received that letter from Paul who said, hey, I want to see you, and you better come to me soon. You better come to me before winter. What if Timothy had opened that letter and just said, you know what, right now I'm kind of busy. It's going to be cold. The weather's changing. Football games are on right now. I don't want to miss any of that. Sorry, I don't think he said that part. But he said, I just can't come see you right now. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to come in the spring. What would have happened if Timothy had arrived there into Rome and, and he's wandering around looking for Paul and someone says, oh, you must be looking for Paul, I guess you haven't heard the word. Paul was beheaded for his faith in Jesus last winter. Oh, he so longed to see you. In fact, every time the jailer would put his key in that jail cell to open the door, he wondered, oh, is it Timothy who's finally come to see me? 
But I've got some news for you. He, he had one final word that he wanted you to hear. He said, if you see my son Timothy in the faith, tell him that I love him. Tell him to remain strong, to remain true in the faith. Now, friends, we don't know exactly if that's how it would have happened. That, that, that's somewhat conjecture. But imagine what Timothy's heartache would have been like if he had delayed putting off, waiting to go see Paul until it was too late. See, this much we do know, and that is that procrastination destroys many good intentions. We know this to be true. We mean to say that word of encouragement. We mean to write that note, to make that phone call, to send that text to someone that we love so dearly. We just never get around to it. We say, this is the month, this is the year. I'm going to get serious about reading my Bible. I'm going to read the Bible through. I'm going to read through the New Testament. I'm going to get serious about prayer. I'm going to get serious about joining a Sunday school and serving the Lord. But then the demands of life, they continue to pile upon us, and we never get around to them. Church, this morning, I want us to look at the urgency of now. That short word, three letters, it's mentioned 277 times in the Bible. Because friends, now is the only time that we have. We don't have yesterday. We can sit and dwell upon what we should have done in the past, but that's gone. We're not assured. We're not promised tomorrow. The question is, how are we going to spend our now? How are we going to spend today with this time that God has given us? How are we going to prioritize our life? And how are we going to make sure that we are living our lives according to the standards and the values found in God's Word? There are four particular areas of our lives that I want us to challenge. I want to challenge us to consider doing now understanding that we do not know what tomorrow holds. The first and by far the most important area of your life that I want to challenge you to consider doing is to trust Christ as your Savior. Now listen, I think it's fair for me to make an assumption that in a room this size, in a city that's in the heart of the Bible Belt, that a vast, vast majority of all of us in this room, at some point, we've prayed a prayer. We've walked an aisle. We've checked a box. Maybe we've even been baptized. I'd go even farther to say that I believe that uh, in a room this size, that a vast, vast majority of us, we think that we're saved. We believe that if we were to die today, that we have confidence that God himself would welcome us into heaven. Now, hear my heart on this. I hope that's true. I genuinely hope that that is true. But as your pastor, even more so as your friend, I'm truly concerned that there are people here in this room who think 
because of something that they did as a child with no genuine repentance over their sin, with no genuine transformation in their lives, with no fruit to show that that confidence that they have of their salvation, it is nothing more than a false confidence of where they are going to spend eternity. Say, Blake, you're being kind of harsh. Is this what we get after you get off for a month? Let me remind you, these aren't the words of Blake to First Baptist Decatur. Listen to the words of Jesus speaking to the most religious people of his day in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, let me just be blunt with you for a second. I'm afraid that many people, particularly in the South, we have confused salvation with morality. What do you mean by that? We may not say it with our lips, but we think, oh, well, as long as you're a good person, surely God would allow them into heaven. Because God would never send a good person away from him to spend eternity in hell. We assume that if at some point in our life that we check the box, that we prayed the prayer, but then we disregard all the commands of Jesus, or we choose that our opinions or our values or our whatever our feelings, that they are more relevant than an outdated book, then we can just disregard obeying the commands of Jesus that surely we'll still go to heaven because we were a good person and God just needed to, to come to grips with where the culture is today. Church, this is a mistake that we can no longer afford to overlook. People who call themselves Christians, but then worship a God who requires no submission of their lives to his word. People who call themselves a Christian, but then they, 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 they think that worshiping God has no sacrifice. They don't surrender their lives to him. Listen to me, they are not worshiping the God of the Bible, no matter how much they say they love Jesus. Today, many people, are, they're cool with Jesus. Jesus is all right, as long as he doesn't interfere with my lifestyle. Jesus is fine. Jesus is good. You can continue to worship Jesus, but don't tell me that he's going to interfere and he's going to tell me what I need to do with my life, with my money and my time. Church, we must have more than just a casual admiration of Jesus. We've watered down Christianity to think, oh, as long as you like Jesus, as long as you think he's a good guy, except some of those verses that we don't like to, to talk about. Say, so this is just Blake's opinion. No, listen to the words of Jesus. All this comes from John chapter 14, Jesus' mouth. He says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Later on in chapter 14, he says, Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Friends, many people today, they want the good luck version charm of Jesus. He's just that genie in the bottle I can go to when I need something. We don't want the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose death actually requires action on our part. You say, okay, Blake, is it your goal to cause everyone in here to doubt their salvation? 
Is my ultimate desire to, to cause everyone to say, oh, well, maybe I'm not because I'm not doing it. No, 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 that's not my goal at all. I genuinely do not want to confuse or cause anyone um, who is genuinely saved, who has truly repented of their sins, who has truly trusted Christ their Savior. I don't want you to leave here confused, but I'll be honest with you. I do want to ensure that no one is fooling themselves into thinking that they have something that they truly don't. I make no apologies for that. And to be honest with you, that is my greatest burden as your pastor, is people who think that they are Christians, but they genuinely aren't. He said, well, how do I know if I'm not one of those people that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 7? How do I know that I'm not one of those that, that I'm going to get to heaven and, and I'm going to say, Lord, Lord, I did all these good things. And, and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. I've got good news. Jesus tells us that. Same chapter, but go back a few verses. Instead of verses 21 through 23, look at verses 17 through 20 of Matthew chapter 7. It says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their, what's that last word? Fruits. Right here, Jesus gives us a guide for what true conversion, what it truly means to be saved. Three things. The first thing is a Christian will hear the word of God. They desire it. Second thing is not only do they hear it, but they understand the word of God. They study the word of God themselves. And thirdly, according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 21, they will produce fruit. Fruit simply means the evidence of their salvation. They'll produce good fruit, good, good, good works, um, honoring the Lord. Now hear me on this. These are the evidence. These are the, the marks of genuine salvation. Don't get confused here. Jesus is not advocating for a works-based salvation, that if you do these things, then you'll be saying, no, 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 no. Instead, he's saying, these things should be evidence in your life that you have truly surrendered your life to me, that you have um, honored me with your life. So let me pause here for a moment. Before we go any further, I want you to genuinely ask yourself, have I repented of my sin? Is Jesus Christ the greatest desire in my life? Not just a casual admiration. Is he truly my Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in my life, not according to, to morality, not according to checking a box, but according to God's word that I have, the Bible says I repented of my sins, that I admit, I acknowledge my sin, I turn from my sin. Doesn't mean I'm not going to sin anymore, but I'm going to turn from my sin and I've trusted Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Have you done that? Friends, if you don't get this right Nothing else in life matters. Once you have your salvation nailed down, the most important thing that you can do to, to deepen, to further your walk with Christ 
is to develop a daily, regular time of personal Bible study. That's the second area I want to talk about. Yes, there's lots of ways that you can um, grow in your walk with Christ. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about serving. We could talk about witnessing. But I believe the most important and the most beneficial way for you to grow in your walk with Christ is to spend time regularly reading, studying, and by the way, following, obeying God's Word. You say, why? Why is that more important than than prayer and all those other things? Well, here's why I think. This is just Blake's opinion. I think the more time we spend in God's Word, the greater reflection we will see on our lives that we will continue to to desire the things of God more, we'll desire the things of the world less, and then our priorities will become the same priorities of God's. And so then instead of us saying, well, I need to to, to memorize scripture, I need to fast, I need to pray, I need to go to church, I need to serve, I need to go on a mission trip, I need to witness, all those things become natural. Those become part of our desire as we learn God's heart, as we study God's heart, and we'll have a desire to become more like him. But I don't have to tell, if you're here today, chances are you have a desire to walk with the Lord. You probably have a a, a habit or you have a desire to read God's word regularly. But let's just be honest here for a second. Why is it that sometimes we struggle to have a consistent time every day in God's word? Okay, can we just be honest? Let's just take those masks off and let's just be honest. At some point in our life, maybe it's right now, we struggle to make reading and studying God's Word a habit or a priority in our life. Now listen, it's not my my goal here today to, to lay a guilt trip on you. Guilt trips can work for a week or two, but then you fall back on the same patterns. No, instead, I want us to spend some time looking at why spending time daily in God's Word is important in the first place. Why is it important that we do this? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, it's important that we spend time daily in God's Word because God's Word reveals His will to us. How many times have we gotten to a stage of our life or a season of our life or a day in our life and said, well, I have no idea what God wants me to do in this situation? It could be something big or something small. And we say, I just don't know, what is God's will for my life in this one particular area? Well, let me tell you one thing with certainty. If you're asking that question and your Bible's closed, you will not have a clear understanding. You won't understand God's word if you don't know God's word, not in God's word. Listen uh, to, to the psalmist. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It reveals God's will to us. Plain and simple, you cannot know what God wants you to do unless you first open his word. I'm not trying to oversimplify this, by the way. I'm not saying all you have to do is read God's word, and then you're going to know what God's will is for you to go to lunch tomorrow. If he wants you to go to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, if you have morality and a taste bud, you're going to know he wants you to go to Chick-fil-A, Right? I'm not saying that. You know, some know, oh, well, uh, uh, if God's will, where do you want me to park? No, forget all of that, okay? What I'm saying is that reading and studying and obeying God's word, it will give us greater clarity and understanding for what he desires for us, but also what he desires from us. So we see that God's word reveals his will. Secondly, not nearly as much fun, 
But God's word reminds us of our sin. See, when we read God's word regularly, it's almost like a spotlight is placed upon our heart. It's almost like a spotlight is, is, is shining upon our life. Friends, the, the more time we spend in God's word, the more that we should be convicted over our sin. The more time we spend in God's word, the more we should be convicted over our shortcomings. But listen to me. That doesn't mean that we sit around, that as Christians who walk with God and read God's word, that we hang our head down low and we, we live in guilt and we're Eeyore all day saying, oh, well, woe is me, I'm such a terrible person. No, we understand our guilt, we understand our shortcomings, we understand our sin, but then the next thing we do is we say, praise God, I am loved, I am accepted, I am a child of the King, not based on what I do, what I did, what I thought, but I'm loved because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. Amen? The more you read Scripture, the less arrogant you should become. The more you read God's Word, the less prideful you should become. In fact, I believe those who read Scripture the most should be the most humble people in all of the world. Why? Because for those of us who read God's Word, who are reminded of our sin, we are constantly reminded, friends, that we are 100%, not 90, not 99. We are 100% dependent upon God's grace. None of us are good before God. Not one. None of us are deserving love. None of us are deserving heaven. But we recognize that we are 100% dependent upon the grace of our Lord and Savior. And third, God's word revives our hearts. Raise your hand. How many of you are coffee drinkers here today? How many of you love drinking coffee? I'm not old enough to drink coffee, but one of these days I will. Um, My wife does. I saw this the other day. It's by the Babylon Bee. Um, If you have uh, the spiritual gift of criticism, just close your ears for just a second um, because we're going to have fun. But this says, a study finds that most sin, um, a direct result of not having enough coffee in your system. And if you can see the scale, you may not be able to read it. It says coffee and system in that bottom line. The X would say in gallons and sin says in sin, S-I-N, to meters. This is what this study, this is satirical, okay? It says, a new study has shown what coffee drinkers have long known to be true, that a lack of coffee directly increases the sinfulness of your thoughts, attitudes, emotions, and desires. Here's a quote. For instance, you're much more likely to want to punch somebody in the face before you've had that sweet, sweet nectar from heaven. As you consume more and more coffee, the chances that you'll flip somebody off, snap at your kids, or tell someone you wish they were dead decreases dramatically. According to researchers, once you've had about two gallons of coffee for the day, you approach near-perfect levels of sanctification, nearing the righteousness of Tim Tebow, Kirk Cameron, and John Piper. Before you start drinking coffee, you're pretty much Satan incarnate. (laughs) We drink coffee. We need caffeine in our lives to, to revive us, right? It gets us ready for the day, many of us. But friends... Only God's word has the genuine power to to revive our hearts. Only reading God's word allows us to spend the rest of that day putting life in perspective. When we read scripture, it reminds us that this world, that our lives, it is all about 
Jesus. When we don't read God's word, we can tend to believe ourselves, that little guy that lives in our head sometimes that says, oh, well, well, you should be mad because the world revolves around you. Everyone is here to make you happy, including your spouse and your kids and your job. And everything, you should be mad if everything's not going your way. But when we read God's word, we're reminded that we exist for the glory of God. We are a part of God's story to bring him honor and glory. So maybe today, the commitment that you need to make is a renewed commitment to read God's word on a daily basis. But listen to me here. I hope you don't make that choice out of a legalistic choice. I hope you don't make that choice thinking, if I do this, then God's going to love me more. If I do this, I'll be a good Christian, and then God's going to bless me more. No, 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 no. We don't read God's word to get him to love us more. We read God's word out of our understanding of his great, unfathomable love that he has already entrusted to us. The third area I want you to consider, if you haven't already, is to get baptized. Say, Blake, why in the world are you including baptism with salvation and daily Bible study? Here's why. Because Jesus gave the church two strict ordinances. Those two ordinances that he gave the church to strictly follow, one is the Lord's Supper. That's why I'm so thankful that our church celebrates the Lord's Supper, not just on a quarterly basis, but we do it on a monthly basis. It's that important. But the second ordinance that he said the church is supposed to follow is the ordinance of baptism. Church, it's that important. The word baptism, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip, plunge, submerge, or immerse. That's why we as Baptists believe that it's going under the water. This is what John the Baptist did to Jesus. Matthew chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, which means he went down first. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In baptism, we are personally identifying with the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hope you've heard that vocabulary from those who have baptized before. That we're what? Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. See, friends, when we go down into the waters of baptism, it's a picture that we're admitting, I deserve death. I deserve the judgment of God. But I'm trusting that the power of God will one day raise me, bring me back from death. In baptism, here's what we're doing. We are admitting that at one point in our life, we were dead in sin. We were under the judgment of God. That's the buried part. But now I'm raised to walk in newness of life. How are we raised to walk in newness of life? Because now we are in Christ. 
Well, let's back up here for a second. Am I saying that baptism is required for salvation? No. The only thing that scripture says that's required for salvation is repenting of your sins and trusting Jesus as your savior, not baptism. However, in the New Testament, if you will read all of the New Testament, you don't see any such thing as an unbaptized Christian. You won't find it. If you're walking with Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, listen to me, there is no plausible reason for you to not be baptized. None. Baptism, it's extremely important, not just for the believer. It's important for the church. One of the reasons that we celebrate baptism together with the faith family is because when we witness, when we celebrate baptism, we ourselves are reminded of what the gospel has done in our own lives. We are reminded that when we go under the water, that we too, at one point in our lives, we were dead in our sins, but by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus, the newness of life has come and that we will one day even have victory over sin and death itself. So let me ask you, Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? If so, have you been baptized? If not, let's get that right. Let's don't leave that question dangling there. Here's what we're gonna do to help you with that. Two Sundays from today, November the 17th, we're gonna have a baptism Sunday. We'd love for you to participate in that. If you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, you're going to have two different options. The first option is the one that we would prefer is that you'd be baptized during our service. So again, as we shared, that it wouldn't just be something that you would do privately, but something that you would share with your church family, and maybe your, your witness would encourage someone else. But we also know that there are some people here that say, there is no way, I can't do it. You're gonna keep putting it off as long as you're in front of a large crowd. We're gonna also make it available for you after the service for your family to be there and and a small group of others that will still be in front of your church family. But I wanna encourage you, if you've never been baptized or maybe you haven't been baptized after you've trusted Christ, get this right. There's no reason to wait. One of the churches that Lindsay and I visited um, in the month of October was a church by the name of Brainerd Baptist in Chattanooga. The pastor's name is is Micah Freeze. And during his sermon, um, this particular day we were there, he made the comment and he said that every person is a good evangelist. Every person is a good evangelist. I really wasn't sure where he was going with that, but he proceeded to say that every person is a good evangelist at talking about things that he or she naturally loves. Every person is good about talking about things they're passionate about, right? You don't have to force them to talk about that. So if you want to know, well, where where am I a good evangelist? Well, just ask your spouse. Ask your kids, ask your coworkers, what is it that I talk about the most? Students, maybe we can look on your social media. We can look on Instagram. See, what is it that I post about the most? Here's my question. Are you passionate about what God is doing here at First Baptist? 
Has being a part of First Baptist, I'm talking just to those that are members, has being a part of this church, has it made a positive impact in your life? Has it made a positive impact on your kids, on your students? Has it made a positive impact on your family? If you answered yes, that being a part of this church has made a positive impact on my life, then let me ask you, one, when is the last time that you invited someone who doesn't attend church anywhere to come, not only to church, but to come and sit with you? To say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. I'll, I'll save a seat. You sit with me, and then we'll go to lunch afterwards. Not just here's a card, and my church meets at 1030, and here's the address. But when is the last time you talked about your church with someone else? Now, hear me on this. I know that inviting someone to church does not equate to sharing the gospel with them. I'm not saying those two go hand in hand, but it can be a natural progression. Starting in January in 2020, the overarching goal of, of our church year in 2020 is going to be evangelism. The overarching goal, my desire is going to be for every single true, true follower of Jesus to be equipped to know how they can take everyday conversations and turn them into gospel conversations. I don't want you to be um, saying, well, I wish I could share with them, but I don't even know, I don't have the words to say. I'm going to make sure next year that you have the words and we can walk through what it looks like to have a gospel conversation. But for right now, all I'm asking is for you to be able and willing to invite someone to church. Friends, I'm going to ask every single person to do something. Here's what I know just happened. I said, I'm going to ask every person to do something, and you're thinking, he's about to ask every person to my left and my right to do something. He's about to ask everyone that's in front of me, no, 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 I'm saying every person, I'm talking to myself, would we do something here? Would we pray for God to give us a burden for someone's salvation? It starts just having a burden. You can't share the gospel unless you're burdened for them in the first place. Chances are you know someone that you work with, that you live with, that you're on the same street with, that you're fairly confident if they died this week, they would spend eternity separated from God. So I'm asking you to pray for that person. See, something begins to happen inside of us when we pray. Not just pray for the lost, but pray for and then name that person. God begins to well up with inside of us a, a desire um, for their salvation, a desire to think about their spiritual well-being on a regular basis. Once God's given you that name and you've prayed for that burden, the second thing is will you pray that God will give you an opportunity to invite them to church? Pray, God, would you open a door? Would you supernaturally, he'll do it, I promise, give me an opportunity in a conversation that I can then invite them to church? Listen to me. Eight out of 10 people who are Christians in America, eight out of 10 people who are members of an evangelical church in America are there because of the influence of a family member, a friend, or a coworker. 80%. We can do mass mailings all we want. We can do social media all we want. None of that comes even close 
to a personal invitation from someone who knows them, who loves them, and cares for them. And then finally, would you invite them to church on December the 8th? That's five Sundays from today. Say, Blake, why are you putting a date on this? Here's why I'm putting a date on it. Because if we don't, Satan's going to continue to, oh, well, I'll do that some other time. We'll just continue to push that date farther and further out. So I just said, let's just pick a date. Let's put December the 8th. Why? Why? Because if we don't pick a date, then it'll just continue to be something that we don't get around to. But also on December the 8th, our children will be singing in worship that morning. And let's face it, what unchurched person does not want to see children singing about the birth of Jesus, right? And third, the reason we're picking December 8th is on that Sunday, the message will be completely focused on this one question. What does one have to do to have eternal life? Here's my promise to you. Matt's making this promise as well. We we talk about this often. We try to do this every Sunday, but particularly on December 8th, I promise you, we will not embarrass you. You will not leave saying, well, that was awkward. He started a building campaign on that day and asked everybody to give 10% of their income. All right, that's not gonna happen. We're going to genuinely express our love and passion for Jesus and then humbly but passionately share from God's word, this is what it takes to be saved and we will not embarrass you. You will not leave. You're saying, man, I I hate that I invited them. Well, now I'll never have that conversation again. So here's what we're doing to help you remember this. In your worship guide, there's a card. Go and get that card out. It's a, a card and it says, who's your one? We've talked about this. We started in January. And if you notice on the front, that one is actually a sticker. It's a a peel, you can peel that off. It's um, kind of a static cling. I want you to take this one, you can put it on your phone, you can put it on your car window or mirror, you can put it on your uh, mirror at home. I don't care, your, your computer monitor, somewhere, I want you to place this sticker simply as a reminder. First, God, give me a burden for someone. Secondly, God, Would you allow me to have that open door, that open conversation? I'm going to be obedient when that door opens. And third, that December the 8th, this place is going to be filled with men and women and teenagers that will have the opportunity to hear the true gospel of what it takes to be saved. Now, church, there are lots of other things that we could have talked about today that we need to do today not knowing what tomorrow holds. We could have talked about, you know, getting involved in a small group. We could have talked about um, um, tithing. We could have talked about serving. We could have talked about going on a mission trip. But I just thought this year we need to get back to the basics. We need to focus on making sure we've got these things nailed down. Are you confident that you're a child of God? Do you have a burden? Do you have a desire? Are you in the habit of reading God's word on a regular basis? Have you been baptized in the same manner that Jesus was baptized? Am I outwardly focused? Am I inviting others to come and experience what we experience on Sunday mornings? Church, we're not promised tomorrow. Let's make sure 
that we prioritize what is most important in our lives. Because if we don't, Satan's going to fill our lives with lots of other things. And we're going to be so busy responding to text messages and answering emails and putting out fires that we don't spend our lives doing the most important things in our lives. Would you pray with me? Dearly Father, I thank you for the gift of eternal life that you freely have given to us through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that your love, that your acceptance of us is not based on anything that we've done in our past, nor is it based on anything that we will do for you in the future, but you love us. You welcome us in as your children because of the fact that we have placed our trust in your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has already accomplished for us on the cross. Lord, I pray right now that if there is someone here that has never trusted you as their Savior. Lord, that you would break through their heart of stone. That they would call out to you to forgive them of their sins. Forgive them for thinking that there's anything within them that deserves acceptance into your heavenly kingdom, that deserves being loved. And then they will graciously receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation, the gift of redemption that has already been purchased for us if we will accept and trust Jesus with all of our heart. Lord, I pray for any decision that you, through your Holy Spirit, are laying upon our people right now. They wouldn't delay. They wouldn't put it off until some other time, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us of the urgency of now. Give us a burden for the things that break your heart, a burden for the things that bring you joy, and may our lives look more and more like you tomorrow than they do today. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.